Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's a danger when putting this podcast together of taking music criticism, especially a tad too seriously. Um, as previous guests have mentioned, at the end of the day, no one is really saving lives, uh, however much influence a, a review or a piece of writing might have about a, a, on a musician's career. Um, also, uh, you could argue that music journalists actually have it quite easy. Um, from the few hundred records released in the average week or month, you've really just got to pick four or ten of the best uh, to write about. Uh, and the biggest issues you're likely to come across when writing is that a rapper's gone AWOL before the interview or uh, the release date of a big album's been pushed back a few weeks. Travel writing, on the other hand, is uh, quite a different beast. Uh, the tone has to be so much more consistent. Uh, you're, you can only hope to cover a tiny fraction of what's out there, you know, maybe 0.1%. And, and that's uh, if you've flown out and you're writing for, for, for years at a time. Um, you're also more likely to deal with problems like uh, natural disasters or acts of terrorism. Arguably not something you're likely to come up against reviewing the new Coldplay record. Uh, so that's why we're taking a sideways look into travel this week uh, with my guest, I'm James Smart and I'm Managing Destination Editor at Lonely Planet. My role is I'm one of three people who manages a team of destination editors who, uh, as their name suggests, manage destinations, all the destinations in the world. Um, so we've got uh, someone who covers South America and Antarctica, uh, we've got someone who covers Britain, Ireland and Iceland and they are responsible for basically commissioning the writers who produce um, just about everything that Lonely Planet runs as well as uh, photographers. I sat down with James uh, a couple of weeks ago to talk about the uh, the primary differences between uh, travel writing and uh, music and culture writing. Arguably, you could say that Lonely Planet is is reviewing countries as well as countless uh, restaurants, uh, hostelries, accommodation, historical sites and so on within them. Uh, it's perhaps the broadest and maybe uh, most useful form of cultural criticism that there is out there um so i was very keen to talk to him about all the different ways that writers are sourced how uh, assignments are decided on uh what happens when there's an avalanche what happens when the government tells you you can't go to a country anymore um all these sorts of real life problems that can impact on travel writing um and he was very game so uh it's a quick fire chat but we got through a hell of a lot um so enough from me let's now hear from james Reads like Lonely Planet guys, I've, I've argued, uh, are, are effectively reviewing or evaluating every eatery, hotel, host, historical site, region in a country 
either by writing about it or I guess in some cases by choosing not to. Um, where do you start when planning a new guide? What's the kind of process that you go through? Well, usually we're not planning new um, coverage. I mean, I guess that's, that, that's the point. We, we have coverage in most countries in the world, so we might be giving more coverage of a region. We might be, um, uh, you know, a, a particular town might have got bigger or might have got hotter, might have got more appealing to travellers. We might think it's worthy of more attention, so we might give it more coverage, but usually we're starting from a position of strength, if you like, and we're updating that material as well as adding new material. Um, where we are starting from scratch... Uh, it's a much bigger process and a kind of um, very fun, very in-depth process that starts with having a destination expert doing the commissioning, then them talking to a writer, then getting a writer or lots of writers on board, um, thinking about the kinds of material that we need. Because we're building guidebooks, we build web coverage, we build apps, there's certain things that we know we want. We know we want an introduction to every city, we know we want drinking coverage, eating coverage, uh, we know we want context, certain amount of background. So we already know some of the buckets we want filled and then it's a case of um, working with the writer early on to figure out how that's going to happen and the writer going on the road and actually you know, seeing what it's like and uh, touching, touching the doors and uh, tramping the pavements. Okay. Um, when, uh, obviously, as you say, it's very rare that you're starting a new, a new guide or, or, or looking at a new city or, or, or region from scratch. What are the circumstances that a region might go from being somewhere that you would not be writing about to somewhere that suddenly you need to cover? Um, I mean, sometimes it's, it, it can be um, transport links, it can be security issues, um, it can be um, just a, a renewed focus. It can be us thinking, look, a lot of people are going to New Zealand. We know people love New Zealand. Um, some of our writers know about a village. It's pretty small. Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff there. Nobody really covers it. We don't cover it. Let's, let's do it. Let's, mm. let's bring it in um, this time around. Um, and do things ever go the other way? Do you have places you've covered for a long time? I was quite curious what happens, for example, what impact it has on you when the government issues uh, guidance against flying to a particular place. Obviously, does that have a commercial impact for you? Does that mean that perhaps you've got writers in the region that you have to then take out, that sort of thing? Yeah. There's a few things we have to consider there. So... Um, we rely on um, FCO guidance, so UK guidance, and we also look at the US guidance and Australian guidance, government guidance. Um, we won't send someone to zones where travel is um, explicitly not recommended. Uh, we will um, often send writers to places where um, caution is suggested. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll look at those cases. So the first issue, yeah, is, is, is writer safety. Absolutely, that's something we take really seriously. In terms of... Um, if a government warning comes in about a destination, what we can do is we're obviously very much about the website now as well as the guidebook, so we can we can put out warnings, we can alert people, we can give people the facts. That's what we like to do because something that's different people have different standards. If you like, some people might think nothing of going to uh, somewhere like Somaliland, uh, or they probably wouldn't think nothing about it, but they would consider doing mm -hmm. it. For a lot of people, that's beyond their comfort zone. Um, equally, for some people, um, travel in a big city in Western Europe might be quite intimidating. So we're not necessarily going to tell people this is the line, but what we are going to do is give them as much information as we can so they can make up their own minds and uh, direct them to resources like those government, um, the, the, those places that give guidance. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to commissioning writers, um, do you is it always people that you kind of pick up on the strength of their writing and then you send them somewhere, or do you often look to people who already live in the regions you're covering? Uh, what, what's the kind of mix like? 
it's it's a real mix. I think historically it was more a case of um, writers from um, particularly English speaking countries travelling uh, to a destination, and we would you know we, we 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 still work with a lot of these writers. Some of our writers have been with us for you know six months, and some of our writers have been with us for you know sixteen years, mm-hmm. um, and. So some of those writers we, we, we work very closely. Um, we um, uh, we've trained them up. Uh, there's, there's, there's there's we've got a kind of a content manual which lists the the, the way we need to do things because we need to be consistent uh, in in the way we cover places. Um, but how we choose whether a writer is based in the destination or visits a destination depends partly on the kind of job we've got going, and also we have what we do now is we've got. Uh, about um, 100 cities around the world covered by locals. Um, so those are explicitly people who are based in the city and who, rather than um, updating a country every two years or so, which used to be odd the way we did things, and it's still the way we cover a lot of the world, they will be supplying new material to us every month. So that's great because it means we're watching on top of changes, whether places are shut or whatever. Um, so that has kind of changed our balance slightly to have more locals writing for us, but no, it's a real mix. Mm-hmm. Um, and what other attributes do you look for in, in in writers? What makes a good Lonely Planet writer? Presumably, willingness to travel is an obvious example of something outside of their actual writing that is, that's necessary. There, there must be things you look for, I guess, outside of just being able to write good copy. Yeah, absolutely. Being able to write good copy is one of the most important factors, but it's, it's definitely not the only factor in I mean, it's interesting, you know, thinking about different kinds of writing and different kinds of reviewing. Um, for every kind of writing, you want someone who's a good writer and someone who can supply the right kind of thing on time. But for us, there's a lot more, lot of other things to think about in terms of um, someone's experience in a country, someone's speciality. Some people are particularly good at, um, at writing about, um, you know, t- traditional um, events in certain countries. Some people are very good at talking about nightlife, so that's a way in which we might choose a writer to cover certain things. Um, and it's also about people we can trust to deliver really big projects. It, it's, it's not a case of firing off a 200-word review or something. It's a case of writing 20,000 words about... France or whatever uh, and, and making sure as I say that we are giving people what they need and that we have what we need to build guidebooks and apps and a, and a website out yeah. of it so I mean that's that's a novel's worth of, of writing you you could argue as well so um, yeah it's got to be someone that can that can kind of yeah it's got durability I suppose yeah absolutely maybe you'll have to be quite disciplined to do the job it's you know there's there's a romance to being a, a guidebook writer and that, that's absolutely right you know I've done it and it's and it's great fun but it is also about being really uh, disciplined and rigorous and making notes and hitting deadlines um, yeah um, I was going to ask um, oh yeah, one thing that, that's particularly interesting to me having spoken previously on the podcast mainly to people who review records and books and things is that there's I imagine there's much more consistency of tone um, with, with Lonely Planet writers because there's less uh, there's less importance perhaps placed on individual voice um, because it's got to be useful to such a wide range of people. It's got to be very reliable, seemingly, uh, you know, uh, subjective, um, sorry, objective in, information. Um, is it the case that there is a kind of, that there is a set tone across all Only Planet output? Does it tend to vary by guide? Do you know that people that want to, that travelling to a certain region of the world, for example, will uh, will prefer a more informal tone? How how's that landed on? Yeah, it, it does vary, and, and we're quite comfortable to have 
some range of voices. We definitely don't want to, you know, iron out all, you know, some one writer is more humorous than another writer. We don't want to iron that out. Um, we're, we're, we're quite comfortable um, uh, for people to be reading something and, and for it to have a slightly different register. But it's definitely true that um, when we write a review, uh, whether it's of a, of a museum or, or, or a, a music venue or whatever, we really want to give people the tools to make up their mind about whether it's for them or not. And I think that's the case in a way that isn't necessarily the case for some other kinds of reviewing, where, for instance, you can read a restaurant review in a, in a Sunday paper or whatever, and actually you might not necessarily find out that much about the restaurant. You might find a lot more about the reviewer, and mm. they, might, they might be very funny, and that might, they might be one of the star writers at you know, that newspaper, and that's fine for that kind of writing. But for us, it's much more the case that what's important is serving the reader, giving them that evocative detail and that practical detail that helps them make up their mind about somewhere. Yeah. Um, and so how do you t- determine what to include when faced with the range of you know eateries, accommodations, sites of interest that a city or a country's got to offer? I guess one of the biggest... One of the biggest kind of comments a Lonely Planet guy can make is by what it leaves out, almost because there's so much you could cover. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, there's there's kind of two separate issues there. One of which is what we cover, and the other of which is what we can cover in a guidebook. So, I mean, typically, you know, thinking about the coverage we have of Britain, I would say about seventy percent of it comes in guidebooks. We have guidebooks to England, Wales, Britain, etc. Um, and but that's only 70% of what we have online. So that first of all, there's a kind of cutting down process that comes when we're producing a book. Um, in terms of what we cover, we there are always discussions early on when we're planning an update between editors and writers and so on about what balance you're going to give different parts of a country or a region or a city. But then when it comes to actually the day-to-day basis of visiting somewhere, deciding whether it's up to scratch, visiting a new place, deciding whether it's worth including, that's very much up to the writers and we have writers that we trust to, to make those decisions and I think that's something that's really important in terms of what we do it's about about going there being on the ground and making a call mm-hmm. okay um, when when I've been talking to music critics and people like that obviously there's a, there's an entire PR industry that's, that's designed to effectively lobby people to cover certain records is it the same on the travel side do you have hotels do you have restaurants do you have you know, entire country or town tourist boards lobby you to include them or consider them or expand on their bit of the guide, that kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely we do. And it's actually very useful for us a lot of the time, particularly when um, restaurants or, you know, businesses or whatever approach us. The way they tend to do it is they will, uh, we've a, um, a, a contact us button on our website. Um, people can then submit uh, corrections or whatever and everyone does that of course readers do that businesses do that um, and what we do then is we um, compile them all and give them to the writer when they start the assignment and then the writer can um, decide which are useful and which which aren't useful and, and, and visit those places on the ground um, so that's the, the kind of the main way that works we our writers generally try to be anonymous we don't always insist that they're anonymous because you can't always be but quite often word will get around unless there's only one writer in town but um that way, you know, we wouldn't, we would never want a writer to, to, to go into a restaurant and immediately announce who they were. We want them, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll go there and they'll eat uh, and they, they, they won't take any freebies. You know, they will eat as a um, customer and yeah. that means they can give a full opinion of it. Um, do you ever consider that shining a light on a certain restaurant or hotel may change it and not always for the better? Um, 
Yeah, does that ever come up? Yeah, I mean, it, it can do. You know, we're really aware that we have a big role to play. We're a, we're a big voice in travel. Um, well, you know, we're definitely not the only voice in travel, so we don't necessarily feel that um, our recommendation is going to completely transform somewhere, but it, it can definitely make a difference. I think you can overanalyze that. I think the most important thing to do is to be honest um, and to... Um, you know, not not oversell somewhere or, or, or over egg somewhere, but to say what it is, to give people the tools to go, um, and to um, let people decide. You know, you, you you can't second guess yourself too much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you just have to um, try and infuse people about things that are good. Yeah, and I suppose as you say, you've got a lot more people in the regions now. You've got a lot more coverage on the website, and so if somewhere does change for the worse, I suppose it's now a much shorter period of time until that's reflected in, in, in your writing and in, in what people can find through Lonely Planet guides. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's, it's, it's so great to be able to do that. So, I mean, for instance, when, when Nepal had its horrific earthquakes a few years ago, we were able to send someone out to update our, our website coverage um, and then that coverage, which went on our website almost immediately, could then be worked into the reprints. You know, you, you really can update that kind of material so much more quickly these days. Mm-hmm. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Um, what other sort of, what other processes are kind of, I guess, the vetting process, the audition process, the interview process that a writer would go through before you then put your hand in your pocket to send them somewhere? Yeah, it, it varies based on the, the, the writer. So we have... Um, you know, one thing I haven't really talked about so far is that we we have uh, we have a ma- you know we have a magazine, we have a website in which we run kind of article style pieces. If, if, with those, it's more a pitching process as you would have in any other part of the media, where someone would say, uh, "I've got this great idea. You'll work out if you think they think they can deliver it, and if it's if, if you know you trust them to deliver good content and accurate content, and then you commission them, and then it's kind of done and they file it." But the way it works with our our main core coverage, our our, our reviews of, um, of uh, places all over the country, the, the kind of trips that we send people out on to go for two months and to, to fill a guidebook, basically. We do a lot of training with them, so they um, uh, have a bunch of um, documentation to read on how we do things. We will always interview them uh, over the phone or face-to-face. Um, we will um, 
give them training on how to work in our in our um, content um, management system. It's all about building a relationship with those people because we have to trust them so much and we invest a lot in training those people and we um, love to retain them and to keep working with them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, alongside another aspect of Lonely Planet we've not really mentioned uh, aside from kind of regular guidebooks, food and drink guides and the magazine and the website is also um, there's uh, compendiums of travel writing as well about people's kind of uh, disasters and, and so on. Are those, uh, are those generally pulled from the writers you already have doing destination guides or yeah. are they taken from elsewhere? Yeah, it's a mix. Um, we, we do use our... Um, our, our standard authors for those. We also quite often will approach um, people who are more generally travel writers, um, people who we think can kind of give a particular stamp to that. Um, it, it, it's a real mix, and our, our founder Tony Wheeler usually crops up as well because he's enormously well travelled. Mm-hmm, yeah, go, goes to all the countries other people only dream of. It feel like a slightly emptier book without without a story from him. Yes, indeed. Um, what do you think uh, the main threats are to travel journalism and writing, and and what is there that can be done to counter those? I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, I think travel writing is... There's more travel writing than there's ever been. Um, you know, there's... What what you have is less classic um, guidebooks. A few guidebook companies have, have, have gone under in the last few years or have been merged in the last few years. Um, and that's because there's a lot more content available digitally. There's a lot more content available for free. Um, and um, that's why we're putting an enormous amount of our content out digitally to be part of that conversation. Um, so it can be, while on, on one hand, you know, you might get some people who, rather than buying a guidebook or going on our website, might go on you know, Google and find out some information. There's also that kind of digital world is incredibly important in bringing people into us in terms of social media. You know, that's, that's incredibly active and is, is the way so many people who never touch a guidebook are really, really close to us. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and to what extent do you consider things like TripAdvisor a threat? I mean, I, I know the diplomatic answer is probably that they're, they're doing a different thing to you, mm-hmm. but I guess ultimately people, there are a lot of people who will travel who will just go to one place for their advice. So is that, is that an issue that you consider? Um, I, I do think it's right that we're we're quite different to them. What we you know what we have is that authoritative review from someone who knows the country, who has typically travelled to the length and breadth of it, or who knows a city incredibly well. Um, and what they supply is something quite different. Um, I mean, you know, in a sense, there is a competition in terms of you know eyeballs online, um, and we're quite happy about that. You know, we've been facing competition in, in the guidebook sphere for years and years, and. Are still doing very well with it, um, and um, yeah, we'll 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 work in in this world as well. We are working in this world as well. Super. Um, at this point in the podcast, I would normally, if it was a uh, a music critic, have a fiendish quiz where we basically take bits of their work, bits of other people's work, and then ask them to tell the difference. But because of the way you've got your guides laid out, unfortunately, I can't put you on the spot <laughs> like that. So um, so that's pretty much it. Um, thanks very much for talking to us, James. Oh, thank you. So that's our episode. My thanks to James Smart for uh, talking to me about all things travel writing and letting me into Lonely Planet's prestigious London HQ. Next week, we'll be heading back to the world of music journalism as I speak to Stuart Stubbs, editor at Loud and Quiet, one of the UK's most respected independent music titles. Uh, He's been its editor for 13 years, uh, something of a rarity to not only be the editor for such a long period of time, but also just to keep a thriving independent publication in business for that amount of time. So we'll talk to him about the successes and failures, the challenges of keeping uh, a respected independent title alive in 2018, and of course, uh, touching on some of his writing from the past. 
Join us next week for that. Also, you can get in touch in the meantime. It's readslikeafour at gmail.com and we're on Twitter and Instagram at readslikeafour. We're particularly interested in talking to food writers, so if you are a food critic or you know of one, please do get in touch and we'd love to have you on a future episode. Uh, That's all for now. Thanks so much for listening. Please do rate us on iTunes if you've enjoyed the episode and subscribe to make sure you never miss out on future episodes. Uh, Until next week, thanks and goodbye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.